I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. And sometimes it takes some pretty unique experiences to really know that he is all that we need and that his word is all that we need. But all right, now John chapter 17. Bonnie has already said those last words when Jesus was pretty much ending his teaching with those 11 and he kind of summed it all up when he said, I have told you these things and what are those things? All the things that we've gone over in the last weeks and how when he, his intimacy with these 11, he, knew, he knows what they're going to be facing. He knows what they need. He knows the encouragement that he needs to give them. He needs to warn them when they need to be warned. He, he just, and the same thing with us. He knows, even though we don't, he does. He knows what we're going to be dealing with. And so his word is already getting us ready and prepared. And, you know, we are so living in a day and age that... Um, Uh, I talked to Linda this morning, and she reminded me of this great song, Fear is a Liar. Fear is a Liar. And we're living in the midst of panic and fear, and we as believers, I want you to know that fear is a liar. And when Jesus says we don't have to fear, he means it. And when he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Because in this world, yes, you are going to have trouble. The reality is that in this world, there is going to be trouble. We are, we are, none of us are exempt from that. But he's saying, when you know me, you can know peace. It Peace may be yours if you want it. You know, that is that is our choice. We can live in our trouble, we can live in our fear, or we can live in peace because we know our Prince of Peace. And that's what he's trying to get us to see. This morning, a friend of mine, I talked to her, and she um, said she went to vote. And in, in this voting, she said there was a distraught man that just went off in, in the voting place and just went crazy saying, there's no hope. Our country's being ruined. And on and on he went, you know, we're going down in the virus. And on and on. He just, he just went off in all of this rampage. And she said, she said that she witnessed that. She went to her car and she just says, I closed my eyes and said, thank you, Jesus, that I know you, that I know that you rule, that, that you're up to something. And she just, um, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. She, t- she looked at all that nuts and she got in her car and chose to let the Holy Spirit remind her of what she knows. And she says, she says it, it just took over my soul. And when it takes over your soul and heart, that's why I said, take heart. What's in your heart will then come out of you. And she said, she just had the peace, just the opposite of what she just witnessed. And then she said she turned on her car and the radio came on with blessed assurance, Jesus, it's mine. Do you, do you know that we have a God who loves us and wants us to live in victory? And so it, may I just say that to you. Let the Holy Spirit remind you of what you have learned and that, that he wants us to believe 
And that's why what Bonnie said this morning is so true. The root sin is unbelief because that leads to everything else. But when you truly have belief in him, that's why I take heart. He's overcome. We, we have a future. And not only do we have a future, we have a now that he is with us and in us. And, and we rejoice in that and what a difference it can make and how we deal with in this world. No. And, then, and then look, at, he says, after, after Jesus said this, and someone asked me, how did John know? How did John know this prayer? And I said, because I believe he was there. And he heard it. And he, he heard Jesus break this prayer into three categories. And so after he was done teaching, he lifted his eyes. He looked toward heaven. And does that remind you of a psalm? Psalm 121, where we're taught, I will lift, I will. That means I have a choice, and I'm going to choose this. I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who makes heaven and earth. And if he can make heaven and earth, may you remind me, Lord, that you can handle me, and you can even handle all that's going on in our world. I will lift up. I choose to lift my eyes to the one who made the heavens and the earth. And then the psalm goes on to say that he doesn't sleep either. He doesn't slumber. So you and I can go to him at any time, day and night, because he's listening. Remember last week, all the promises that I went through, you know, even though there, there were just a few of them, many, many, but one of them was he will hear you. You have to choose to call to him, but when you do choose to go to him because you believe he is there, like he promised, he will hear you, and he knows what's best. And here Jesus is what a mentor, what an example. When he was done, when he did the job, and he's going to say that, he's, he's almost going to say, oh, no regrets, I did what you wanted me to do. And now I lift my eyes to you. I have a, but, I, I, but these three categories I want to talk over with you. And so he says, Father, and if you, if you can't see how much Jesus' prayer here in John 17 resembles the Lord's prayer. Remember when Jesus said, this is how I want you to pray. And, and I don't think that he meant that we pray those exact words, but that we remember when we, what we need to stay connected to him, because that's what prayer is. I know we've got the mental picture that prayer is when we close our eyes and fold our hands and when, we, when we're talking to him. And that is a big portion. It's under the umbrella of prayer. But prayer in itself is that connection that we keep with him, that remain in me, I will remain in you, abide in me, and I will abide in you, stay put in me, and I'll stay put in you. I mean, that's what prayer is, that connection that we have. And again, that's why Paul says we're to, we're to pray ceaselessly, because that connection needs to be all the time. So when Jesus said, I want you to pray, he pretty much is saying, I want you to keep these things in mind all the time. This will help you stay connected to me. So just, just quickly, I'm just going gonna, gonna to go over that because he, he says, I want you to remember this all the time. This is what will keep you connected to me. When you realize that, that, that he's your father, 
He's your father. He, he loves you like a father loves a child. He wants the best for you. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll discipline. He'll do whatever needs be. A father does that. But keep in mind, as intimate as he is, he is holy. And he is God. He's sovereign. So don't get lax in that. And, and what's going to keep you connected to, to me is if you remember that the kingdom has come. That the kingdom has come. And his name is Jesus. So that everything that you that you want to tend to worry about and fear and all that. He's saying, staying connected with me, you are reminded that the kingdom has come. His name is Jesus. And he fulfilled the job, the cross work, the blood is sufficient. So he says, remember that. Stay connected to me, knowing that, that, that his will is perfect in heaven and on earth. When you dare pray, thy will be done, you believe that his will is perfect. That'll keep you connected to me. That'll keep the doubt away. And, and to stay connected to me, remember that I promise that I will supply what you need today. And, and this is part, if we, lose, if we lose track of this Lord's Prayer, if we lose track of these points to keep us connected, no wonder we start worrying when he said, remember, I promise to supply what you need today. And also to stay connected, he said, I want you to keep remembering how much you've been forgiven. I took everything, I took every sin to that cross, and you are forgiven. And as far as the east is from the west, so have I removed your transgressions from you. And because you know what I've done for you, that will enable you then to forgive those who you need to be forgiven. And what a different world that would be if we stayed connected and learned how to forgive the way he forgave us. And then when he says, Lord, lead us not into temptation, to stay connected to him means that you know that temptation is constantly in your, in my face, and we are going to go down in that temptation if we don't activate the power that is bigger than the, temp than the tempter. And so when he says, lead me not into temptation, it's not that the Lord would ever lead us into temptation, but we are basically saying, I can't face temptation without you. So as I go into temptation, you lead me, because otherwise I'm going down. And then he said, deliver, deliver us from the evil one. Keep us mindful that we have an enemy. And I, so many of those truths, he prayed in this prayer. But just know that that Lord's Prayer is our principles that he wants us to keep remembering so that we stay in prayer with him 24 hours of the day, that we stay connected to him. So when he says, Father, the time has come. He knows. He knows it's just a matter of hours. I mean, the time has come. Glorify your son 
you know, and he has that coming because he is God himself. So when he says, glorify your son, but then, then this is what he says. You talk about selfless. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I had to stop and think this week about that because I think how many times don't I ask him good things? You know, I can ask him like, oh Lord, I just so want to be healed. Or we can, we can say, um, you know, Lord, I, I so want this. Now, but I had to stop and think, why am I asking? Am I asking like Jesus, Lord, glorify me so that you then can be glorified? I'm thinking, am I asking for me or for him? Am I asking that I be healed so that um, I don't have to go through so much or that I don't have to suffer or that um, I'm happy, I, I can be happy and comfortable and I get my way? Am I asking for me or am I asking because I want to be used for his kingdom? God, that, that really got to me this week. I think I've, most of our asking and what we want for ourselves is usually so that we can be in a little more comfortable state. For you granted him, he's kind of talking in the third person, for you, Father, granted him, Jesus, the authority over all people. that he might give eternal life to all people, to all those you have given me. Now, again, that can be twisted, and people can take that out of context and say, see, he just chooses certain ones. But I want you to take a look at that word, all. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have who. You have given him. But I go back to John 3.16. For God so loved who? The whole world. So his whole, his whole reasoning was that there's a person that, that he did not come to save. And so I think we just kind of get that, oh, so he just chose certain ones. No, he chose everybody. But then John 3.16 also reminds us that the verse is a two-way street. He did this for all, but then whoever believes, whoever chooses him. And so he says here, now this is eternal life. He goes right on and he says, this is the eternal life. And he puts it very plainly, that they may know you. And that no is not just a, a superficial belief. It isn't sitting in the church pew and it's spending your time saying, I, I do good things and I even go to church, but then the rest of the week is my choice and my decisions and what I want. No, this know you he's talking about. Eternal life is when, how many times have we said this in the last couple of weeks, when you go to the cross, you accept his salvation, you experience his grace and mercy, and then he turns you around and says, okay, now this is what I, I am the shepherd, you are the sheep, and you're no longer, you're not, no longer your own. You belong to me. And now you listen to my voice. Here's his voice. This is, these are my terms. And I expect, in fact, I command you 
This is eternal life, that they know you. They want to have that intimate relationship that's working both ways. That's eternal life. They, they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth. I think, the, I think he loves saying this. I did it. I did it. When you asked me back in Philippians 2, when he didn't take his Godhead as something that you could claim, he decided to say yes to his father and be willing to become human. And he, how many times didn't he say in this book of John, I did what you told me. I think Jesus listened so totally to his father. I don't think he added to or took away he listened to his father. He completed the job. Doesn't that remind you of what Paul said at the end of his life? I have fought the good fight. He knew that the beginning of his life was not the day he started um, rabbi training or when he graduated from Pharisee University. He realized that the beginning of his life was when he got knocked to the ground and he was introduced to his Savior. And from that day on, his whole life was committed. I now preach Jesus and him crucified. And then at the end of his life, he knew, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have finished the course. And I have no regrets. Did everyone believe? Did everybody believe Jesus? No. He cried. He wept over that. Paul wished that everybody would have believed, but they did. That results are not up to us. Our responsibility is to make sure that we are doing what God has asked us to do, and the results are his. But there's something wonderful. Even if people do not respond in a yes, if we know we've been faithful, Jesus knows he's been faithful. Paul knows he's been faithful. And to be able to say these words, I have brought glory. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Shouldn't that be a goal that we want? That we want to live our life that at the end of our life that we can say, and we don't know how many days, obviously, we've heard this morning. None of us knows. That's why every day is important. I know a gal that was in the study years ago, and she came to me. Her mother passed away, and she said, I am living with such regret. My mom did not believe in Jesus, and I knew that I was to sit at her bed and again go through this with her, but I was so I was more consumed with her reaction and, and trying to make her comfortable in these last minutes that I didn't do it, and she died with me not telling her again. And that poor gal is still living with that. We know when the Lord tells us. I've been there, and I know you've been there. Oh, remember that one time when I was sitting in that Traverse City coffee shop, and, and I was sitting there with Tom passing time for the next singing engagement, and there was a man reading a, a book about mysticism, and you could tell good-looking kid that was searching in the Lord. All the Lord asked me to do was to stand up when he left, put my hand on his shoulder and say, you have every right to read any book you want, but may I suggest a book that will change your life? That's all. 
Not sit down and preach to them. Just give them the suggestion. There's another book. And so I, I got up and I didn't do it. And it was as clear as could be. So I get in the car, we're driving down the road, and it's bothering me. So I say to Tom, I said, did you see that kid sitting next to us? No. Well, see, the Lord wasn't telling him. He was telling me. I said, I saw him so clear, and I even saw the book he was reading. And I said, and the Lord told me to stand up and put my hand on his shoulder and to tell him that there was another book that could change his life. And I said, but I, this is what I said, but I want you to know, Tom, I didn't because, you know, I, I didn't want to embarrass you. Because, you know, I embarrass you so many times. And I open my mouth all the time. So I want you to know I didn't. And I will never forget Tom's like He doesn't get mad at me much. But he took his eyes off the road. And he looked straight in my face. And he put his finger up like this. And he says, don't you dare blame me for your disobedience. I mean, that was blunt, but I had it coming. So, again, you know, I mean, I have asked forgiveness, and I know the Lord has forgiven me, and I prayed that somebody better than me was more obedient and told that poor guy. But you know what? It's a story he won't let me forget, even though I know I'm forgiven, because I don't want to live with that anymore. I don't want to live with regrets. I want to be able to say, I have brought you glory on earth. It might not have been popular, and I might have had to take it under the chin, and I might, might have been misunderstood and all that. But that, no, no, that's immaterial because I want to bring you glory. After all, look what you did for me. I wouldn't have had any story at all to tell except that I was lost. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I can hear him say, and I'm coming back. But I did the job you asked me to do. And people now have an opportunity to be brought back into a relationship with you. And then he breaks it down, and then now he's, now, now he's praying for those 11 that he loves, and he is going to send out to bring the gospel to the whole world, and he knows what they're going to be up against. And so he says these words, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of this world. I displayed, I taught, I, I did everything I possibly could to reveal you. And, and then, but, but what really kind of got me was that I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. And I found, you know, we've studied Luke and the Holy Spirit is just so beautiful how the Spirit helps you recall. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, I started realizing that, well, listen, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, so all night, all night he prayed about this. And when morning came, he called his disciples, which this means there were far, far more, dis, more, more followers of him. And he said, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. His father told him what 12 and so now that, that verse makes sense. I revealed you to those you have given me. So Jesus even trusted his father for picking the 12. 
And pretty much, they were rejects. Because usually a Jewish boy, if he made it, he made it into rabbi school. Well, none of these 12 made it into rabbi school. And they're fishermen, they're, they're radicals, they're, they're tax collectors, and one that's even going to betray. And yet the father picked the 12 for Jesus with, a re, with every reason possible so that you and I could see that there isn't a one of us, no matter what our personality, no matter what our lot in life, no matter, no matter who we are, I mean, even Judas. Why would the father pick Judas when he... Because it shows us that you can fake it so good. You can be, you can be the treasurer of the consistory. I mean, that's what he was. Judas was keeper of the money bag, so I called him the treasurer of the consistory. And they, and they didn't have any idea. But I'll tell you what a lesson for us in this day and age. So that was an important factor. And he loves these 11. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And I had a smile when I read that because I thought, he's probably saying, yeah, in the nick of time. Because remember, it was last week. In verse, verse 29 of chapter 16, then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And that's when Jesus said, you believe at last. So, I mean, some of these things, I think that's why John's writing them. He's saying, you know... I wasn't getting it till toward the end. And we know, because Jesus came back with, okay, you believe this far, and I'm really great, and I'm so, and I applaud you, and that's great, but, you know, you're still, you've got a long way to go, because you're going to scatter, you're going to let fear take over you, and all that. But, but I am encouraged, because when I, when I leave here, after we've studied John 16, 17, now, I feel like, oh, good. Now, I've learned this, and I've come that much farther. And he is applauding, saying, good job, ladies. You now know something you didn't know before. Now go home and start studying 18, because there's more. Because you have a long way to go. He says, I pray for them. I pray for them. I pray... For them, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. You know, at first you can look at that, and he said, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. What's the matter, Jesus? Don't you care about the, the lost souls out there? Of course he cares about the lost souls, but right now he is praying for those eleven. And that reminded me of, you know, and I've told you this many times, but, you know, when, when Jason was just, you know, for years there, he just was on the wrong track, and I didn't know what else to do because you, we can't, it was a heart condition, and I can't change his heart, but I knew there was one thing I could do, and every morning I would go down by his bed, and this was for years. I would go down every morning, 10 minutes. I prayed for Jason. It's, is it that I didn't care for Tom or that I didn't care for Dad? Of course I care for Tom and Chad, but for these 10 minutes, I'm praying, I'm praying for my lost boy. 
And I think this is, this, you know, sometimes it's not that you don't care for every, everyone else, but sometimes we just need to center in. And that's what he was doing. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world right now, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. You talk about um, sharing together everything. But see, that's what he wants us in that kind of relationship with him. That it's so real. That, it, that, that you are so connected to him. And then he says, and I, Glory has come to me through them. Glory has come to me. And I think that that, it too, is so beautiful. Jesus, in fact, I used to, and I've said many times that I want to put a smile on Jesus' face. I want my life or my action or whatever, I want that to put a smile on, my, on his face because he's either pleased or he's disappointed. But I now I, I want to change it a little bit. May my life today or what I'm doing right now, um, may it bring glory to you. Because he is saying that those men, because of their belief, because that they accepted and salvation is now theirs, and now they're willing to serve and do whatever he asked them to do, that brings glory to him. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. You know, they've got to stay here. I'm leaving, but they've got to stay there. And why? Why do they have to stay? They have a job. They have a big job to do. Holy Father. Now he says, Holy, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. So, Father, the power that is going to the the power that is going to protect them is the power of your name, the name. Because remember, the name that the Father gave Jesus. And what are we supposed to pray in? Who are we supposed to pray in? In Jesus' name. There's our power. And so He says, protect them, protect them with the power, because it's going to take power. And he knows that every one of them, except the, the apostle John, and he's going to get tossed on an island, but all of them are going to be martyred for his name. So I don't think that when he says protect them, he is thinking naturally. On, I mean, he's not so consumed with their earthly bodies, because he knows how it's, the earthly bodies are going to last. They're not. I think he's more consumed at this point of protecting them from, from what they're going to be facing. You know, division, because this message is new. Jesus knows what he had to, what he had to go through. And the people are, some are going to believe, some aren't, and it's going to cause division. And so protect them from division, because that, that's hard to take. It's hard to see two different sides. And then you're tempted to, because you want everybody to be, you know, you want everybody to believe. And so then you think, well, maybe if I say what they want to hear. And then it's so tempting to, to say what their itching ears want to hear. So I kind of wrote down, I thought, you know, 
when you see division, when you see unbelief and you see belief and, you know, your job, I want everybody to believe. And the, the temptation is to, and that's why Paul said to Timothy, just use this book because if you, it's for rebuking and correcting, it's for everything that you need because the temptation is for you to stray off it and say what their itching ears want to hear. So protect them with the power of your name, the name you gave to me, that they can stand strong even in the midst of division, in the, in the midst of the temptation of compromise. Keep them from error. Because sometimes we can talk ourselves right into you know, making a wrong right by just finagling a few verses. And he says, no, may they stick to the word and not compromise and fall into error. And, and most of all, may they not fall into protect them from a hypocrisy because that's rampant. says, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, that we don't stray from one message. You know, I couldn't help but think, you know, I, I bet if I asked you, um, I bet we'd have a number of different denominations in this room. That we go to such and such a church, you know, Baptist, um, Wesleyan, Christian Reform, Reformed, you know. And we all have different denominations, you know. But I stop and think as I progress through this chapter. And then when Jesus prays for all the believers, I couldn't help but think, man, what really? Because the church was called the church or the body of Christ or Christians. We never see a split among them. So who made up denominations anyway? Man did. Because they couldn't get along with each other. Because they had different ways of looking at things. And what Jesus said to the 11, I want you one as, as we are one. And then when he prays for all the believers, what is the thing he prays for? Unity, that we may be one. And I'm thinking how many times we have split and divided over things. And, you know, we are all, I look at all of you, and there isn't, there isn't uh, the same in the bunch. I mean, we're all extremely different with strong opinions. And he created us that way. Or what a dull world it would be. So, you know, we color it up with our different personalities. But the one thing that we all do have in common, and then that's what he says, this is what I want you unified in. I want you unified, and because every one of you is different, you all have one thing in common, and that is every one of you needs the cross, and every one of you needs forgiveness. Every one of you needs a Savior, and every one of you has one, and you should be dancing in the streets about that. But no, that's why James says, what? It's James wrote a five-chapter book, and he was as blunt as blunt could be, and he's talking to believers, and he's saying to those believers, what in the world are all the quarrels about? Why are you quarreling among you? There shouldn't be any quarreling among you. And then he goes on to say, I, I really do know. I'm, re I really, I'm asking you the question, but I know the answer, because human nature wants its own way. 
But what you should be doing is getting together, realizing the one thing you have in common and the one Holy Spirit that will then help you decide whether blue or green carpet really is that big a deal. <laughs> or maybe, you know, you believe in the rapture or you don't believe in the rapture. You know what? It's all going to come out fine in the end. So what in the world are you dividing about when the one thing you have in common is the most important thing of all. See, that's what Jesus intended. So when he says, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, kept them safe by that name. You gave me none that has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. So that scripture would be fulfilled. Oh. It's so easy for people to look at that verse and think, and I've even heard someone say this to me, Judas was born to. He was created to be the betrayer of the Savior. And I'm telling you, that can't be. Because every one of us was created how? In his image. Every one of us was created in his image. And so along the way, in fact, I, I looked in King James, and here in NIV it says, except the one doomed to destruction, King James says, son of perdition. And so I looked up that word perdition, because I really wasn't quite sure. I thought I had an idea. But this is what the secular dictionary defined perdition, a state of eternal punishment into which a sinful, unrepentant heart goes. Isn't that something? So that pretty much clarifies to me if he's labeled the son of perdition and perdition means that it's a, an eternal punishment to, though, to an unrepentant sinner. So whose fault with it was this? It's Judas's fault. And so we have got to get over that. So, but how can scripture hundreds of years before write that? Because because I can't fathom God's mind. God knew. God knows. And he, he knew how Judas was going to choose. And I think he said, I can use that. I can use that to teach people that you can fool and act and camouflage and, and still be lost. And I can also use him because, boy, what a statement that's going to make when one of my own betrays me. So, and then he says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure. That's why I asked you the question. Do you think you would be different if you had the full measure of his joy? Of course you would be. So would I. So then why aren't we? Because it's, it's available. And what is the full measure of his joy? It's, it's when we totally, when we know him and we are listening to his spirit and we're standing on the promises and we believe his terms and his commands. And we know that we are safe in his hands. And we know that his plan is perfect and his timing is perfect. And when, he, we, and when we know he is God and there is none other and he reigns and he created the heavens and the earth so that means he can take care of me. And it doesn't matter what happens to this mere body because my soul is well because of the cross of Christ. 
That is the fullness of his joy. And if you wake up every morning knowing those things, you watch all what the enemy wants to do to you. Stay at bay. That's why he says, I'm praying. They can do this tough job that I'm asking them to do. To face what they have to face if they have the fullness of my joy in them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. Now, there's a difference between being of the world and living in the world. You know, so there is a difference. We, when we accepted Jesus, we were lifted out of the world. But we still have to live in the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. No, they have a job. So I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, he knows that these 11 belong to him. There's nothing that the evil one can do to take these 11 away from him. But he does know the maneuvering of the evil one. And he knows that they're fighting human nature every day. And how the evil one wants to take us down that wrong path, jump us from the path of light into the path of self. And then we stumble all over the place. He knows that that's up against us all the time. And so he's saying, okay, yeah, I'm not taking him out of the world. I know I've taken him out of the world. I know that sounds so confusing, but we're not of this world anymore. But that's why back in Genesis, when the, when the enemy said to Eve, did God really say that you were not to eat from this tree? And then Eve came back and said, yes, we are not to eat from this tree or touch it, which God never said. She exaggerated that, and God didn't say that because he knows that living in this world, we are going to touch the world. It's going to touch us. But he says, don't eat of it. Don't let it become a part of you. Because when it's a part of you, it then will come out of you. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Now, here's the second thing that he's asking God to do. Protect them from almost themselves, but then also protect them from the enemy. But then he says, number two, sanctify them. Sanctify them by the truth. In other words, keep growing them. Because sanctify means becoming more and more like Christ. And that is a, something that happens progressively day by day. And he says, I want, I want these men growing every day. That's what he's saying to you and I. Sanctify them. Keep growing them, maturing them, getting to know me more and more. And how? By the truth. By the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Oh, I am willing, I am willing to sanctify myself. I'm willing to die on a cross, be buried in a cold, a cold grave. I'm willing to do it all so that they may be truly sanctified. Because if I hadn't done my part, there'd have been no hope for their sanctification. And then my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. So now, it's all, all the believers. 
that all of them may be one. I hope that that verse stands out for you, that you do something that Jesus is praying to the Father for you and I, and what he prays is that we are one. And then now, and later, he's going to say why, why exactly he wants us one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that's the relationship I want for them. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Do you think he could have said it any more times? I think after reading this, you and I know what is the principle, just like what we sang this morning, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, it's just the same line over and over and over. But you better go over and over and over till you get it and believe it. And he's saying, this is what I want them to see. I don't want them fighting and quarreling. And here he's going to say why. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The reason why he wants us Christians to be so together is because a, a, a world is watching us. And when they see us doing the same thing they do, what's the point? But if they see the fruit of God's spirit, if they see us uniting, getting along, if they see us standing firm on the one thing that we have in common and we don't let picky uni stuff divide us, then they're going to sit up and take notice of that. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I mean, he can't wait. He can't wait till we all get there because, you know, in our human brains, as beautiful as they are, as, you know, as amazing as they are, we only can understand human words. And John did a pretty good job, but I have to laugh sometimes when I'm reading Revelation because I think to myself, John can only say, and it was like, it was like, because it was so much more than what he could put into words. And I think this is such a, I mean, I think John might be, he's listening to this prayer and he's hearing Jesus say, oh, I want those who you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, to see all, because there's no way I can tell them how great it is. I mean, this should be exciting, something, we all need something to hold on to, to get through these days, but we have been given such such an, um, a beautiful uh, something to hold on to. I don't know how else to put it. What a lifeline to hold on to. When all looks so bleak, when Jesus is even excited, I can't wait till they see it all. I can't wait till they're part of it all. The glory that you've given me. I want them to see the glory. I want them to see me the way, with the glory that you've given me. And, and I want them to see the place that I told them I was preparing for them. Because you love me before the creation of the world. And then he ends this prayer by saying, you know, he first said Father, then he said Holy Father. Now he says Righteous Father. Though the world does not know you. I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. 
huh, what does he mean there? I have made you known, but now I'm leaving here. But yet he says, I'm going to continue to make you known. How's he going to do that? Through his spirit, of course. It all makes such sense so that... And it will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Wow, that's what he wants. It's not complicated. He knows you and I will be just fine if we keep that relationship that we are in him and he is in us and we keep the sanctification moving forward and we keep working at this and we keep following the shepherd's voice. We keep making sure that we are listening to his commands because he says, if you say you love me, then you're going to obey my commands. So he pretty much ends his prayer. He says, all I want for them is that they know me, that they continue to know me and know you because you and I are so one. I want them to be included in this oneness because there is just no greater life. And that's why I couldn't help it. I know it was an old song this morning. But all of a sudden, I'm starting to understand the old hymn writer that said, sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Through them, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words. They are wonderful words of life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Beautiful, wonderful words of life. And Lord, may these words so take root in our heart. What a prayer. Again, may we look at the, uh, the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, and then he followed suit with this prayer. And Lord, may, it, may we see that it's these principles, it's these principles of these prayers that keep us remaining in you, and you remain in us. We should never, ever want that connection to be broken, no matter how much we think we know better sometimes. Father, surrender is a word that you expect from us. And that we surrender all. And that only comes the more intimate and the more we know you. Because we dare surrender all. Because we believe. Thank you for a wonderful morning. Thank you, thank you for a wonderful morning of testimony, of victory, of in this world you will have trouble. But may we also have heard, I tell you these things so that you may have peace. And to think we can take heart because you have overcome the world. And so Lord, may we live like that this week. Of course, we need to use our head. We need to um, be vigilant and cautious and all those kinds of things. But Father, we need to not fear. Oh Lord, we just we want to live today to the fullest because that's what Jesus said. I came so that you could have life to the fullest. Abundant life is not fear and panic. Abundant life is simply being one with you. And we pray this all in our Savior's name who makes life worth living. Amen.